You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. All right, what's up, Eric? I think uh, we are live. We're live. Uh, Rick's Rick's sick and not feeling good today, and Sean's in Switzerland, so I guess it's me and you. Jew, y'all, Switzerland. <laughs> this is crazy, man. Europe, that's a good place to go. I wonder what the testing is for that. You know, if you have to go on the on board of a plane, if they have to do all these crazy tests. Like when I go to Budapest, I mean, you need like two COVID tests. You need a, a fast test the day before. I mean, it's, it's, it's really uh, it's a lot what you have to do. There's no way I could wear a mask for 10 or 12 hours. I couldn't do it. So I can say, do you, do you, you don't like traveling by um, by air, right? That's why you bought the RV? I don't, I don't, it's, not the, it's not the flight itself. It's getting to the airport and all the BS going to that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's always the same crap. And, uh, well, I'm pretty recognizable, so I get stopped a lot. Our next guest, I'm sure, gets stopped a lot, too. So oh. you want to introduce him? Well, you know, it's like I, I, I'm i a very close friend with Kevin James, right? I know Kevin now for like 22 years, more, longer, I think, you know, because we, I met him pretty much uh, uh, right away when I came to the States, within three months. And he has actually wrestled on the wrestling team in school, in high school, with Mick Foley. And his best buddy, Scott Voss, also told me stories about it. Nicest guy. And he said, <clears throat> man, he, he, he was really, uh, how you say it, envious that we were going to interview him. I said, so then you got to log in. And you got to watch the show and see what happens. But mankind, you have to understand, I come from Holland. In Holland, there's almost no pro wrestling. They don't pay attention to that. It's really weird, you know. And the only names that popped up are Stone Cold, of course, but Mick Foley always. And then with the sock, being mankind, yeah, being yeah. the psychopath. It's a hero of mine. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's perfect for you then. So he was one of your favorite guys growing up. Oh, without a doubt. Mix, mix. And then when I met him, it was, a, you know, even better. So there's Rick. Hey guys, how are you? I have to say, first of all, I know Mick is waiting for us and no disrespect intended for me to come on late like this. I'm waiting my COVID diagnosis momentarily here and I'm just out of it today. Because, um, you know, we've been wanting Mick on from the very beginning. He's one of my heroes as well. Um, in my opinion, like the most intelligent guy in the world of pro wrestling and so interesting. So Butterbean, boss, my apologies for being late. Apologies to Mick, who I know is waiting. And thank you guys for uh, for running with it. So I'm going to step back now and get on with the Boston Butterbean show, please. No, no, let's, let's, get, let's get Mick out here. I mean, he writes books. He does. I don't know what he don't do. We'll have to find out. Right. Pop him on there. Boom. Let's go. There we go. Here I am. Hey, thanks for coming on, Mick. Really appreciate it, my friend. I'm hey, it's my pleasure. Seems like you guys have a nice thing going on here. Yeah. We're you having know, a lot of fun. It's Let been really it. cool. And, you know, there, there's two big distinctions in you coming on today, Mick. First of all, probably the guest that we've most wanted to have on from day one. And here you are. Thank and you. secondly, you're, you're like the first non-bald person on here in a long time. I, <laughs> I love this picture, this gem that I found. That's the one. Look at that. That's me and Kevin. You can see Kevin's got the traps and the deltoids, and I have none of that going on. I got that. <laughs> Crazy, right? But uh, man, you you really did something in the pro wrestling. Everybody, if you go to a cameo, you have like four and a half thousand reviews. That's I don't even everybody writes a review. So how many cameos? You're you're a busy man. Yeah, I try. It's not quite that high. It's uh, under four thousand. But oh. um, yeah, I've been at it a year and a half, and uh, came it came at just the right time when uh, my entire schedule had been wiped up by COVID and I thought, all right, let me give it a try. And not only was it the first time I've ever been able to figure out how to make money without traveling, I never could do that before, but it also kind of fulfilled that creative, creative urge. You know, I, I have songs I've written for birthday. I've got a Father's Day song, you know, and who's got a Father's Day song? So uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, I put a little work in there and uh, I enjoy doing them and I look forward to, you know, to waking up each morning and uh, seeing how many I have to do. You know, that's yeah, you the know, thing. You, 
you can see in mixed cameos that he really wants to do them. And I think that's a that's a huge difference maker. Uh, I, I know you go much longer than the average. And I know people really feel like they feel like you're getting a personal connection from you. And, you know, that that's one thing that always stands out um, in my mind about you. And I, I always thought of you and Roddy Piper in this same vein. You're probably going, what is this? But you are two guys that no matter who is in the room with you, you make that person the focus and you make them feel special. And that's a really cool quality, man. I wanted to point well, out. Well, you know, you try. I look back uh, a little bit of embarrassment on some photos of me from 2004, 2005, when I clearly don't look like I want to be in that moment. And that's a shame because people may have waited two or three hours. Uh, in some cases, they're putting down some money, you know, when it comes to cameo, you know, there's some money involved. And uh, I really take a lot of pride into uh, really enjoying each interaction because if I enjoy it, they'll enjoy it. And it's something they might look back on years later as a high point. You know, who you, uh, Bean, maybe because I've seen you a few of these conventions, you know who was a motivating factor for me was watching Henry Winkler at work. Have you ever been in a con with, with the Fonz? Not yet. I'm hoping too soon. Oh, I man. Yeah. Have you seen him with his fans? Oh, he's a, he's freaking amazing. I we were walking. I did a movie uh, with him, and uh, we were yeah. walking. There's a whole uh, the, 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 I mean, there's five hundred extras, and he's he's standing there, and everybody's sitting, and he goes, hey, and he sees a guy with a leather jacket, and he goes, like, hey, put your put your thing up, your board up, you know. <laughs> you know? It was super cool, man. I mean, we we watched that show in Holland on Sunday. Uh, what was it? Um, the, 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 the show he got famous for. Uh, Happy, days. Happy, Happy days. days. Happy Days. Oh, there we go. And uh, it would be quiet on the street. There was no cars on the street. Everybody would watch the fonts. So when I found out I was going to do a movie with the fonts, oh, man, it was so stoked. So funny. That's right. Because, because Kevin's had him in about four or five different movies, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He did a whole bunch. He's really, been good. He's really been good for Henry, but I see the way Henry interacts and uh, – I saw one parent, and he was like, yeah, yesterday he came up and started doing magic tricks for my kids. My kids weren't even on his line. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he uh, he makes all of us up our game. But you see someone like that who was the most popular guy, you know, in America in the mid-'70s. They're like, hey, if the Fonz can work a little harder, uh, then, then so, can I, so can I. Oh, I, I was messing with him the whole time with like Velcro. If he would, I would see how long it would take till he would break. So I would have Velcro and then stand behind him. Don't do anything. I only do you know, constantly doing it. And then like literally after two minutes, it's a long time ago. Can you stop this right now? You know, it's hilarious. I'll tell you what happened to me this week. I got the coolest cameo this weekend. This daughter and mother requested me to have her, her husband put down the boxing trunks of mine he, he wore wears all the time. He says when he's at home, he strips off, puts the boxing trunks on, he shaved his head, and he walks around telling everybody he's butterbane. So <laughs> I, I was informed to tell him to kind of could impersonate me. I, I kind of encouraged him at the end, though. I go, dude, keep it up. You're doing a great job. <laughs> You, did you, you see didn't a too hard a promo on the guy, huh? You, you, you know, know, it's like... I wish I did. The, he impersonates me every day. He said every morning he makes sure he shaves his head, puts the trunks on, and walks around the house hauling these how he's butterbean. That's, that's <laughs> that's well, you, you guys all have your... I mean, you're all... The three of you are all, like, very much legends in, in your space and, and in a lot of the world. And, you know, Mick, we're talking about the quality you have that, that's so endearing and so personable with everybody. And I know two other guys just like that. Here they are, Boss Rutten and, and Butterbean. I mean, you see that always. I, I have never seen either one of you guys be anything other than 100% nice to everybody you meet. Never. So I, I wonder, when you're out all the time and pounding, especially in these times when everyone's walking around all pissed off, is yeah. it – Um, I mean, you can't be in a perfect mood all the time, obviously – so, well, you know, uh, you can't have to give yourself your little safe spaces. So, for example, when I was an announcer with WWE uh, in 2008, I specifically asked them not to book me at the TV hotels because once I'm done with work, I do like to unwind a little bit, you know, and uh, 
when you go to the TV hotels, there's a lot of fans around. It's like, I just, I just need this time yeah. after work to not be that guy. So it's a lot easier to be that guy when you're checking into a Hampton in the middle of nowhere, as opposed to the WWE hotel. Um, because I, I, you know, I figure I can't be that guy 24 seven. I can be him 23, <laughs> six. So I think it's important to know your, you know, it's, I guess it's like a fight in some ways you, you play your strengths, you avoid your weaknesses and uh, you try to put your best foot forward each time you're out in the public eye. Here's a somewhat related question for you, for all three of you, actually. What's your, you probably won't want to say, but what's your worst fan experience ever? <laughs> hey, you know, I had, a, I had kind of a bad one just a couple of weeks ago because I do this one-man show where I tell stories from my career. And uh, we do the uh, VIP meet and greet at the end. And this is we, me making up for all the dates I missed because of COVID. So I was doing 23 events in uh, a 28-day period. And I got through it. I felt pretty good, you know, physically. I wasn't sick. Um, I guess if there's a silver lining to all this COVID, it's that people don't expect to shake hands now. So you're not hurting anyone's feelings We don't shake hands. And it's just a lot easier to stay healthy when you're not, you know, when you're not shaking hands. You know, it's a sad but true thing. But I finished up my VIP. I really felt great about that month. And then I was told that there was a fan out there by my car. And uh, you guys have probably run into this where you have the official collectors. They're not necessarily fans. They're people with official merchandise. And they always have an excuse as to why they couldn't go to the show. So I yeah. told the guy I would put him on the honor system. You know, it wasn't fair to other people who had paid. But uh, if he would make a contribution to a local uh, organization, you know, I'd put him on the honor system. And when I signed it, he was walking away. And I said, uh, so uh, where are you going to contribute that money? Because don't worry about it and it just ugh, just put a knot in my stomach because i've had all hundreds of successful and really positive interactions and then the last one was uh an unfortunate one and i had to talk to myself you know about not letting that uh ruin the uh, it's like going to a you know a football game and then hitting two hours of traffic you have to remind yourself that you just had a great time and that uh you know, six months from now, you just want to remember going to the game with your kids, getting a nod from one of the players, you know, uh, and 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 forget about the aggravation of the car ride. So, uh, again, it just get just about trying to be as good as you can, as often as you can, but understanding you can't do it all the time. Yeah, you want you to know, let's, put that, let's put that up with the website up on the on the screen so I can check that out. Yeah, yeah, I do have a bunch of shows uh, in November. Uh, we've been, Pittsburgh's been sold out for a while, but I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, uh, Rochester, New York. Uh, December, we've got a 100% uh, uh, fundraiser uh, in Atlanta for a group called, um, uh, oh man, how come, uh, NAMI, uh, National Alliance for Mental Illness. Uh, so I was able to raise some money on the on September doing something I called the shirt off my back auction. I figure I did it one time in Australia, you know, auction the rugby shirt I was wearing and we made some money. So I figured we might bring in a couple hundred dollars a night, but we brought in $15,000 in 23 shows, uh, oh, wow. all for uh, one great organization because that's, I think something that we've all understood is, uh, really important right now. And, uh. And it was also, unfortunately, to honor one of the women who I worked with, you know, who struggled with her demons and uh, lost about a month ago. Oh, wow. Uh-oh. That's not good. Hey, guys, the website's on the bottom of the screen, so if you want to check out Mixed Dates, uh, you yeah. might get to tell me you, so check them out. What, what do you got on the 29th of October in Knoxville? Oh, I'm doing something called the uh, Fanboy uh, Con. Uh, and it's at the Knoxville Convention Center for three nights. It's always a good time, and you throw in that Halloween vibe. There's a nice cross section of guests there, so uh, it'll it'll be a good time. I think the pro wrestling world is really strongly represented on this one. It's like yeah, six really or seven show. of us there. Yeah, it should be a good show. 
How how are you at airports? I, I wonder. Is it because you're, you're a big guy too? I mean, people recognize you all the time, right? Yeah. Oh, airports. Yeah. You know, airports. Um, <laughs> if somebody said they had a bad experience with me, I can almost pinpoint it to an airport before five thirty a.m. You know, yeah. you haven't slept. You're cranky. You're maybe in a rush, and there are times you just don't have time. But I also understand. You know. Uh, after a few years you're like you might as you might as well just accept it and enjoy it you know i'll give you an example i was coming out of uh the uh baggage claim at lax and i see someone with a big camera asking if they can talk to me and i i realized it's a professional camera i said oh, who are you with they said uh, tmz and at that point you can either like fight it or you can just say hey i don't get much national attention anymore I might as well enjoy this for what it's worth. And if it's good, they'll put it on TV. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think five years ago, they actually had a discussion about who'd had the best, better post-match career, me or The Rock. And, of course, I lost. I was like, of course I'm going to lose that conversation. Anyone but The Rock is going to lose that conversation as to who had a better career than The Rock. And uh, I was just glad to, that there was a conversation. You know, they were actually like sticking up. Well, he's had a couple books that did really well. I was like, but he's the rock. He's the biggest star in the entire world. But again, uh, you know, uh, you get a little bit of positive TV out of it instead of being a guy who doesn't want to answer questions. And, and you know, at, at my age, at my advanced age, um, that's uh, I, I, I appreciate the I appreciate the airplay. That's beautiful. So, Mick, I want to go back to what you were talking about uh, a minute ago with the money you're raising for this nonprofit. So, as you said, it, that's that's a point of emphasis these days, mental health. W was that your choice to put that nonprofit into the mix? And if so, why, why did you choose yeah, that? It was. Well, the uh, the young lady I was friends with, uh, Daphne, her real name was Shannon, mm -hmm. she struggled for a long time. And she, uh, you know, she was went on Instagram Live, uh she was you know talking about ending her life and then the next that morning she did the next morning she did and i saw that her mom uh was asking people to contribute to nami the georgia chapter and that's that was the inspiration like i said uh, i was thinking okay i've got by the time i uh, started doing them I, I guess it was on like the 7th or 8th of september so i thought i got you know, 21 22 shows if i can raise you know two grand a night that'll be I mean, two hundred dollars a night that'll be four grand and instead we raised 15 and i just so i'm going to try to do that everywhere i go with the exception of the december 5th i'll uh i'll pick out a different organization last night i was able to raise 520 dollars for a <laughs> jimmy rave uh wrestler who lost both his legs to MRSA. uh two amputations looking at 100 grand uh a medical bill so obviously 520 dollars a drop in the bucket but at least jimmy knows that the wrestling world is thinking of him so yeah. that's what i'll try to do every every time i go on stage i'll find a good uh, a charity probably coming in uh, to the, the holidays uh, with me and my santa background i'll probably just look for uh, local organizations that help uh, you know children in need at this time of year so do you do you go out and put your hands on that too during Christmas time? Do you get out into the community and Yeah, well, you know, this is the first year I haven't had the massive beard. Uh I've been portraying Santa for the last uh nine you know, there are no kids listening to this, are they? Very few kids. <laughs> go right ahead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean I usually grow the beard out the whole day if you, if uh, the whole year. You guys want to get a laugh and Google Bill Murray and Santa Claus, and you come across a fan a photo of uh, Santa reprimanding a very naughty Bill Murray. That 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 guy would be me. So I love doing it. I've never done it for anything other than uh, volunteer work, but I do it. You know, the best I can, uh, do the best job I can portraying that guy. Uh, and it's going to be a shame this year when I don't have the beard, but. Uh, uh i figure i can still i can still get out there in the community with uh with what's known as a theatrical beard and do a nice job that way that, yes. that's great man and i have to say santa claus notwithstanding you look much better without the big beard i do i agree with you the thing was it was just too far to go for, for like 
20 day, you know, 20 days of volunteer work that, like I said, I can do almost as well without growing the real beard out. You know, sure. there's no, none of the Santas we see on the silver screen or very few of them at least are real bearded Santas. Uh, yes. uh, Sir Richard Attenborough was with the short beard, but, uh, but uh, Paul Giamatti did a great job with a the theatrical beard and Tim Allen did a great job. Lou, uh, Ed Asner was a great Santa with a, Theatrical beard. So you're, I think I'll go that route. Company. And you know the best company, news? Right? The best what? news, probably, Mick, is no one's no one's gonna mistake you for Tank Abbott anymore either. <laughs> and that's probably the best news. And uh Tank, if you're out there, I love you. Sorry. <laughs> Last time I saw Tank. We've had a lot of people comment saying thank you for what you're doing for, for the people with mental ill ill. Oh, it's good. It's you know yeah it's one of those uh subjects that doesn't necessarily need to hide in the shadows anymore uh so i think the pandemic opened up a lot of people's eyes to you know what it's like to struggle life was hard before the pandemic began but you know now you get people who can't you know we're we're supposed to be social beings and to be away from friends and family and feel like nobody's out there for you just compounded you know i knew uh going in because of organization I'd worked with that uh, domestic violence was going to pick up. Uh, problems like that were going to become much more exacerbated. You have people who may be at, uh, you know, at odds with each other, but they can at least escape the house. And now they're all, you know, t- so it's yeah. it was a tough situation and loneliness almost became its own, you know, it's its, its own pandemic. So yeah. I think it's great, you know, that we're more willing to talk about mental illness these days. A question, right? And, and I, I want all of you, of you have the same thing, because I was talking about, you were talking about <clears throat> being social beings and charity and all that. Do you guys have the same effect that when you post something, for instance, I did a charity event last week, and it's every time when you do a charity event, there's not a lot of people clicking on that, not a lot of hearts. Like I post a picture with a, with a baby with a gun and a, and a cell phone, and it says a there's no reason that he should have a, a cell phone at that age, you know, like funny boom, I guess like 20,000 hits, but then you post about something to help yeah. people, you know, to get money, charity, get the homeless people to help. And you got like 500 likes. I go, what's wrong with society nowadays? Why will people do that? That makes those, no you know what I think it is boss. Uh, it goes, remember uh, when Mary Poppins was talking about the spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down. Yeah. You need something along with that that brings people. I think people will do the right thing if they're encouraged, like with a, you know, a dangling carrot, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. for me, when I was I was able to raise some money for like what I was calling the WrestleMania Dream Event or Dream Auction, uh, because people knew that I was really I was really trying to raise money for groups couple different groups we raised some money for over the years but they also saw the wrestling side of it that it was you know the the two tickets from anywhere in the world the mania and then i kept throwing in like you know a meet and greet with this person and lunch with lynch becky lynch would do lunch breakfast with banks one year sasha banks you know joined my winners and so people like they got into the spirit of giving but they don't get in there all on their own. Does that make sense? Because I've I've had to tell people uh, in direct messages, look, I'm really sorry, but I, I just can't, you know, take up every uh, request because then my stream becomes a lot of sorrow and nobody's really donating. Maybe $10 are raised because of just one, because of just one tweet that asks for help. So boss, I would say like, um, if you could find a UFC twist, yeah, MMA twist, yeah, and present it as something people should be doing, it's hard. It's it's difficult. Yeah, no, but that's good. I'm gonna take that advice because it's true. You know, you need something to catch the attention right away, and I mean, yeah. just talking about it, you know, maybe just be honest. I mean, because if people see it, they don't realize it. Maybe I always think maybe it is because. You know, you're doing a hundred percent goes to the, the charity, and people probably always think, Ah, oh, they probably pocket some money themselves. Yeah, maybe yeah. That's the reason. you see what I mean. But then I wouldn't say hundred percent goes to it, you know. So, yeah, but I make it a special thing. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, if you have this, 
Sorry. If you had an image like the one you, you talked about uh, with the baby, the gun and the phone, and uh, you feel like it might do well, then want, you know, put that in your first two lines and then throw in a little, hey, if he gets a chance to check out a good cause. Yeah. Uh, that way you have so many more eyeballs on it, 20,000 as opposed to 500. Yeah. And, uh, and if people are sharing, then you get your word out slowly but surely i think nice and, and boss me and mick and bean would all like you to text that photo to us because we all want to see it now oh beans down the biggest most the match you're most proud of i mean people got people want to know what's the match you're most proud of <laughs> You know what? I, I this is one of the stories I really enjoy talking about on um, my tour because it's not one people even saw or remembered. It was January tenth, nineteen ninety five, with Terry Funk in Japan, and that's where I started seeing Boss because you were doing the Pancrase at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I know Terry. Uh, I went to, to his ranch and everything. He's a good guy. Yeah, Terry's a great guy. And on that night. We had a small crowd, but you know what it was like with the Japanese, well, both of you guys know what it was like with the Japanese media contingent, that uh, if you're lucky enough to be in front of big crowds, that was great, but those uh, those media people were going to get those beautiful full-color photos across the, the country to like 500,000 fans within a couple days, so we only had about 150 fans at this little arena. It was my first no-rope barbed wire singles match. And because Terry would wrestle with the Japanese, he would dress with the Japanese wrestlers. He was like part of the culture. Like they were on that night in Guma, Japan, which is a little prefecture they call about uh, 90 minutes outside Tokyo. I didn't even get a chance to see him, let alone talk to him. So you're just trying to put something together while you're there. And uh, just we turned in something special that night uh crazy match and terry's you know out of his mind anyway uh but it was the one i'm proudest of because there were so few people there was relatively little money at stake but we thought we were building the foundation to that promotion on that night and that's why i'm so proud of it was that fmw mick no no we were we were like a uh uh competition to fmw iwa japan was oh, competition yeah. IWA, sure yeah we uh we were we had uh, some good we had a good crew of people but uh, i thought with terry there uh i get a chance to uh run with the ball as far as i could and uh, that that promotion treated me really well yeah i, I know the match and i've seen it i just couldn't remember the promotion and and being if you want to you want to watch something that's truly something to behold Check that match out. It's uh, it is some it is some off the uh, reservation stuff, man. But really, really good. <laughs> you know, every time I go home and I use I go on YouTube, it's uh, YouTube suggests a new Butterbean match for me. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes when I can't sleep, I'll just go down a rabbit hole and I watch six hours of 1970s boxing. You know, and like Foreman and Ali and Ken Norton and Ernie Shavers. And then sometimes, you know, then they'll suggest things. And so I'll watch uh, different disciplines against each other. And, uh, yeah, Bean, you get suggested to me almost every time I go on there. Awesome. Hey, hey, <laughs> and I want to, for the record, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that I beat Terry Funk in a steak-eating contest. Oh, did you do the one that, that, <laughs> that, the one in Amarillo that has a, yeah, that that restaurant one, yeah. has a huge steak? Jeez. Dude. I wanted to be on the wall, but you know what? I had five fries left, and you had to eat everything on your plate. I thought 72 ounce, you have no clue. I said, who's not going to make this going to be a pussy? And halfway down, he goes, I'm a pussy, I'm out. I go, now I got to go. So I kept going, and there were five fries only. And you couldn't, couldn't do it, huh? Uh -huh. Look, look at that, Mick. Boss, boss wouldn't even put Terry Funk over in his hometown of Amarillo. Wow. <laughs> See, that's the go. kind of guy I am. That's all right. That's all right. You're a very competitive man, Boss Rutten. We all know that. Speaking of which, here's an utterly bizarre question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, Mick. If if you're if you're a promoter, who who would you book to win a three way dance between Boss Rutten, Butterbean, and Mankind? Oh man, well you mean in our current states? 
<laughs> Maybe in your primes. I think Maybe if Boston runs, you know, runs around for a couple minutes, uh, me and Bean are going to drop on them. So <laughs> I don't. I well, this is an unusual question, but I will dare say that two of the three people, uh, two of the three of us you mentioned, would be more real than the other one. Uh, so. So unless Mr. McMahon had a definite say so, I would say I would not fare too well with these two gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Well, you're the promoter, so you have the book on this one. All right. okay. All right. In that case, Foley goes over. Easy. Yeah, strong. I have to look strong. <laughs> like I said, I, I'm, this is my COVID-addled brain coming up with these questions. So pardon me. I'm not usually that out there. But, uh, well, I had get- an awesome day today, guys. Let me tell you what happened. My, my package come in today. I got it installed. I'm just waiting for the morning to try it out. My bidet arrived. Whoa, really? My bidet, I'm on the commode. It's warmed. I got the oh boy. warm water. I'm set now, man. I'm hooked up. I've been looking for one for a while. You're not going to leave that room for hours on end, are you? Mick, Mick, we cannot do a Talking Tough episode without yeah. some mention of Butterbean's bathroom habits. You have to know that. It's part of the gimmick at this point. He pushes babies out. That's what he's doing. <laughs> but but I'm fascinated that you actually bought a bidet and had it shipped to your house. That's great. I bought one from Tampa, too. Don't, don't think I did. I bought one from RV also. Of course oh, you do. Wow. I hope warm water. Of right? course, yeah. Okay, good. It's important. That's admirable. You do that, yeah. That's uh, that's. We're all like, we're all speechless. Being you've rendered us out speechless. We we don't know where to go from here. <laughs> well, so, wait, yeah. last year we we done these calls, Mick. It's a, me, boss, Rick, and other people. We just bullshit about what's going on and things like this. Is kind of where this show come from, because people want to know, you know, what's going on with our lives. You know, our ups and downs and our struggles and you know different different problems and and great things that's happened. You know, so that's kind of where the, the whole show started, I believe. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. I appreciate being on here. Yeah, we talk. I, we do talk, as you mentioned before, everyone's going through a tough time. So we do talk a lot about vulnerability because, uh, you know, we all, we all come from these, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, these sort of like tough guy worlds where, you know, people from the mixed martial arts, I'm pointing at my screen, it may not make any yeah, sense yeah. But boss, mixed martial arts, Mick, pro wrestling, better being boxing. And it's, it's a show. I mean, look, I know the reality of each, so don't take that the wrong way. But the show is the facade. You're always in character. You're always tough. You're yeah, always on. Yeah. And it's, it's been a blessing to get to talk to guys like yourself who, who get real. And, you know, if you follow the comments on the side of the screen, I don't know if uh, you can see them or not, and the messages that we get, it, it's, really, it's really resonating with people because – there's a realizing that everybody's in it and everybody has a way out of it. And that's uh, and that, that's the message I'm getting from you as well from uh, the moment you came on. So yeah. thank you again for participating. And my pleasure. I mean, both you guys have probably seen uh, men and women whose entire, you know, the, not only their lives, but the entire way they think about themselves changes with a devastating loss. And some some men and women shrug it off and just realize it's, it's part of uh, part of life. And then for other people, they're never quite the same. And uh, that can be a devastating, you know, for some people it's devastating because a real bad loss can uh, change their uh, livelihood. For other people, they could just never come to grips that somebody on that night was tougher or better than them. Yeah. Crazy. Well, my, my first loss was at Madison Square Garden. I went outside and I got mobbed by people. They picked my spirits up a lot, but there was a kid in a wheelchair that couldn't get to me. And it took almost an hour and a half to get to him. And I mean, just having people still like you after your loss, is it helped. But when I met that kid, he was paralyzed. He was so happy to meet me. I'm like, that I honestly impacted the rest of my life from that point on. If I can make one person's day better, and I had a, a a young kid recently come up to me at a show that was just he cried because he met me, and and that really keeps me going because if you can make one person's day better, they're going to yeah. return the favor and make somebody else's day better. Yeah, you know, I think people when when being when you were boxing, I think people liked seeing you in the crowd, 
after your match because you mentioned to me nobody ever put that in their like agreement because most guys don't want any part of being out there. And uh, once in a while, you know, once in a while you'd show up, you'd have a shiner or whatever, you'd be out there and you'd be watching that main event. And now you're uh, you're endearing yourselves to the audience. You're showing that uh, life goes on after a loss, and you're just raising your stock in the boxing world. You know, the last fight I saw, unfortunately, it was not one that you won, and I was surprised. But uh, there's never been a boring butterbean fight, right? <laughs> That's one thing That's for sure. Yeah. So if the people are happy at watchers, no win or loser. <laughs> I mean, everybody's a winner. Everybody gets paid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Hey, all, going all the way back, Mick, I, I, I look, I read about it, so I don't know if it's true, but it's on Wikipedia it says, because Jimmy Snuka was this major influence for you. Is that true? Yeah. The, uh, what, what was so special about him that you... Yeah, you know, well, I was uh, really enamored with Superfly Splash. He was coming off the top rope with a splash when really nobody else was doing it, at least nobody that I had seen. There were other people in different parts of the world. But he, he had that wild look in his eye. And he had that incredible physique. Um, and he could, you know, his balancing was uncanny. And uh, I just really taken by it, especially when I, I hitchhiked to Madison Square Garden from my college, which is about 200 miles to the north. And that was October 1983. And when he came off the top of the steel cage against Don Morocco, uh, I mean, I can see that Morocco was like doing like almost like a three-quarter sit-up, you know, to kind of break that fall. Uh, but didn't take away from the magnitude of the moment. And uh, I was always like a, somebody drawn more to the reactions and the actions. As you know, at heart, I was an entertainer and not a competitor. Although we were always very competitive backstage, you know, about getting those top spots. But um, so as soon as he came up the top of that that uh, cage, I looked around at the audience and I saw all these emotions going on, you know, grown men crying and uh, <laughs> people hugging each other. And I just thought to myself, man, one day I'd like to make people feel the way that I feel right now. And that was a driving force in my career, trying to make people feel the way that I felt that night. Wow. Well, you know, you, you always did. And on so many occasions and one in particular for those of us who really follow pro wrestling is that crazy, crazy fall. You took off the top of the cage um, with undertaker, I believe if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was it. And I, I you know, I, I want to ask what were you thinking, but I'm not going to insult you and ask that question, but <laughs> Oh my God, what, what, what I do want to ask, and this is a video of Boston being, if you guys haven't seen this, you have to see this because it, it, it it defies gravity and logic and everything else. Vic, when you, after that bump, were you conscious? Were you cognizant of the reaction? Or were you just in recovery mode? And that's a real no, question. Well, yeah. I was, uh, especially started bringing me uh, up the aisle on the gurney. And, uh, you know, I didn't know for sure if I'd be able to get off. But I told uh, the undertaker if I could, I would. And even as I was climbing that civil structure the second time, I thought to myself, well, at least the worst part of my night is over. And then it got worse in a hurry. So it was a, you know, it was a, it was a crazy night. Uh, I was lucky, I think, for example, that there was no social media. Because I think it would have probably trended for two days and then been forgotten about. And instead, it just, like, started picking up momentum like a snowball going downhill and you know six months after it happened it was far bigger than the night that it did happen wow crazy i i i still get a kick out of watching that all these years later it's just what i get a kick out of is that it's now part of uh like uh, uh culture not i was gonna say american but it's worldwide you'll watch a uh you'll watch a you know a world cup championship game and a team goes up three nothing and all of a sudden the memes come in with jim ross shouting somebody stop the damn match you know so uh you know he's been broken in half is now part of the lexicon so yeah that match i was lucky i resented it for a long time because i didn't want it to be the only thing i was known for but yeah. then as time goes by and you see that more and more of the people who are asking about that match weren't even alive when it took place. You know, they're 10 years old, 12 years old. 
and you realize, okay, I, I'm pretty fortunate to be remembered. All of us are lucky to be remembered for anything 20 years after the fact, uh, let alone a couple of different things. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm glad that people uh, took to it so much. Very much in the lexicon of pop culture, as you said. Guys, we're, we're getting a lot of comments. I want to point two out real quickly. Yeah, our sure. our co-host, Sean Ray, has written to us twice. And the first, he's saying hello. He's in the sky on the way to, uh, to Switzerland. And Mick, he's writing to you directly on the second one. Um, hey, Mick, you're a true warrior. Love your story, grit, fight, and most of all, commitment to finish strong. All the best, big guy. And that's from our uh, co-host, Sean Ray. So I wanted to uh, very nice. And what's he going to Switzerland for? Is that where he lives? Sean is um I, I don't want to get it wrong, but it's gonna have something to do with his business. He did a very okay. successful business now in the supplement and accessories world tied to uh pro bodybuilding. So I'm sure it has something to do with that. Okay. I don't know what it's or he's commentating a big bodybuilding cop something there that, that or, like something, that. Yeah. or he's yeah. opening a Swiss bank account. <laughs> there you go um, so many of the comments you know we're getting like it's pretty interesting Mick it's the design of the show is kind of like half war stories you know from famous yeah. people like yourself and then half getting into the real stuff and if you look at the comments today they're like right down the middle uh, you're getting yeah, a ton yeah, of there comments are. and questions but there's also a lot of stuff on people you know being challenged and in, in, in what to do so I want to go back for a moment and I hope you don't mind if I make it serious again. You know, being you and Mick both talked about, you know, being of service and putting smiles on people's faces. You guys are in a unique position to do that, which is great. It's such a blessing because not everybody in your position takes advantage of that and gives themselves the way you guys do. So so thank you for that. It, what what I want to talk about is what, what can the average person do who doesn't have fame or, you know, doesn't have a network? I used to preach, you know, for, for example, just be nice to the first five people you walk into today. That'll make them feel better. It'll make you feel better. Pretty simple. Yeah. Pretty simple stuff. Yeah. But um, what what can the average person do to, to brighten their day and brighten someone else's day? Uh, well, I do believe in, uh, you know, service. Uh, so you and plus you meet some amazing people when you uh, when you volunteer for something. So, uh, you know, and then you find, you know, it's hard to find someone like my son is 29. He is a writer for WWE. It's almost impossible for him to have a social life. So, uh, you know, if he could get out there even for a couple hours a week and do something uh, with like-minded people, he's likely to find something that, um, you know, interests him some way of giving back and uh and he's uh, you know might just meet the right person so there's a lot of great organizations that deal from everything from you know food insecurity to depression to you know building houses and uh this year represents the 30th year that my wife and i or 2022 will be the 30th year my wife and i have been sponsoring children uh overseas um, and so I'm going to try to put some money together for a big, uh, and when I say big, I mean like a two classroom school, not big, big. Um, but so that's what I want to do, but anyone else couldn't, they can sponsor a child. You know, it's easy. There's no shortage of ways to help somebody out, Rick. And like you said, it doesn't have to be too complex. It doesn't even have to be two hours a week of volunteering. It could be writing a letter to a child every three months and, you know, uh, making that child's life a little better. That that that's great. And I would encourage anybody out there that that needs a boost to find a local organization where you live and go do something for two hours. Like Mitch just said. <clears throat> Sorry, guys. It'll make all the difference in the world. Be, being what, karma, what do you? Karma say? does go good. I mean, karma, karma has a lot of strength, folks. So you do good for somebody. I believe that. Yeah, it does. You do a few shit on somebody, it's coming back at you. Yeah, we, you know what we do? We do the, we feed the homeless like every last Friday of the month. And we go there to you the, um, and it, 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 listen, it changes you because you see the homeless that normally you, you're on your phone, you're moving away from them. But these are regular people and just, even we bring them food and water. But I think the most important for them is that we just talk to them. And then you see them coming to life, and it's just regular people. It's like it's not what you think. You think, oh, this guy is weird. It's not. 
And they're really great people. They start recognizing you now. Hey, man, what's up? I've been all come together. It's something, man. It, it, it really does something to you because the first time I did it, I go, okay, I'm going to stay in this because this is really cool because it's good for you, but it's yeah. especially good for them as well. Absolutely. They, well, they, you know, they say that charity is uh, not altogether altruistic. It's partially selfish. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because yeah. anytime I'm of service, I, it makes me feel great. So yeah. you definitely get something out of it. And, and boss, what you're talking about, like how can somebody out there watching right now find that type of organization in their hometown? What would be like the search term they would put into their? Uh, you know, we we uh, because the the, the, the city they, they 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 shut us down with COVID and then they realized wait a minute there's homeless people how are they going to get food yeah. now so suddenly they yep. shut them down so they started a new organization called Feed My Poor, and 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 that that organization but um, I, I know it's in Los Angeles but I'm pretty sure it has also a New Jersey side because that's where Big Mike who's the guy yeah. who sets this up comes from. But go after organizations like that, and you can do anything. You can donate. You can sit there for two hours and making sandwiches. I mean, you can do that, or you're going to come out and you, you know, you 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 deliver sandwiches and water as socks. Like you make them so happy with a pair of socks. It's just bizarre because it's like gold for them. So yeah, it changes you. You really should do that. But look, look at the organizations like Feed My Poor. Beautiful, and you can also go to the Humane Society in your city. And you oh, can yeah. wash and can wash dogs and walk dogs. And yeah. it's like the greatest thing ever. Talk yeah. about being happy for a few hours and helping some people and animals out. Anyway, just ideas, ideas. See, this is a, 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 a the family logo, right? And it says F-A-M-I-L-Y. And it says, forget about me. I love you. That's where it stands for. So let's forget about us. Let's start helping people. And that organization has been there for a long time. And again, that's Big Mike, the guy I was talking about. And uh, yeah, it's inspiring. I was with Byron Scott uh, last weekend. We were for you know raising food, and we went to a gym, Mission Bay um, uh, Thai boxing, and and uh, I did. We did a seminar. I, I taught a seminar there four weeks ago, and I said, okay, we're going to come back last weekend then, and we we would like to have like socks or whatever you have to spare, cans or beans, whatever it is. And man, I walked into the gym, and people, it was insanity what they uh, got together, and everybody's. A lot of these guys started signing up because they want to come help now feeding the poor. But I mean, one guy had a connection with shoes and he had like four boxes full of these uh, beautiful sports shoes that he got from some company to give to the poor people. You see, so that's cool stuff, man. That makes you feel good and you're helping people. That's no better than what you said. You know, it's for both of you. Mick, any travel plans for the holidays? Now that we're talking about this. You know, helping people. <laughs> yeah. What, what, yeah. what do you have in your life that's exciting? You know, in the last several years, um, I would take off the entire month of December in order to do my my uh, Santa volunteering. Last year, though, you know, it was clearly a different year, and I got COVID, uh, so I couldn't even spend the holidays with my family. I was in a hotel room. Luckily, I had not only the cameo videos, but I had about fifty Santa videos. That I did for friends and family, so I, I stayed pretty active. But uh, this time around, I'm doing a, a couple of events in, um, in the Southwest. Uh, a guy named Eric Embry was real good to me when I was breaking into wrestling. I was only in my third year wrestling when I got a um, a chance to wrestle for World Class Championship Wrestling out of Texas, and uh, you know his belief in me was uh, really a you know, a big factor in my career. So I'm going back there to help him do a couple of my own events in neighboring cities. And then uh, I think I'm going to go see my mom on Long Island for a few days and then head back with the family and enjoy a, hopefully a fun and, uh, you know, memorable Christmas uh, in Florida. Nice. And boss, Bean, any big plans in the making? You know, no, me, yeah, you go. Going every, you know, every weekend I'm somewhere trying to have fun with meet people and uh, enjoying my new camper. I love it. <laughs> I just want a camper. I don't have to. I don't have to stay in hotels anymore. I just. I well, now it. that I know you have a bidet in your camper, whenever I see you with these cars, I'm gonna want those keys right away, man. Not a problem, like anytime. Rick, y'all, y'all should be kind of feeling left out. Mick actually has a couple of my ink pens I made. I do, man. What a great hobby. Yeah, it's a great... <laughs> I do, I Why did you make? Shop next week doing ink pens and then making some more stuff. 
Okay, go back. What, what, what did you make? Oh, you've never seen Butterbean's handiwork before, boss. It's no. amazing. His razors and his ink pens. Bean, tell him, please. I'll get, I make I make uh, ink pens out of anything from alligator jawbone to woolly mammoth ivory. Oh. Uh, <laughs> cones. I mean, I'll have Libby out in the yard picking up pine cones. She, she hates it, but it makes an awesome ink pen. <laughs> I'll have to one, boss. I love it. That is so awesome. And that might be the single best quote ever on Talking Tough. I have Libby out in the yard digging up pine cones. She hates it. We got to remember that. <laughs> Do we, uh, before, because Mick, we need to know, we, we all, every week we talk about something that really impacted our lives and how we got out of it. Like, for instance, I had an Oxycontin problem, you know, and it, 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 did you ever have anything that really got you down and it was like you hit rock bottom and how did you get out of it? Wow. Yeah, you know, I uh, I did. I had uh, some trouble. Uh, but I'd say it's even 10 years ago, I was just saying on a show, you know, talking about mental health and how nobody ever, uh, like, got together and felt like they could talk about it. That I said on that same interview, even 10 years ago, you would be unlikely or less likely to report a concussion because you still had this idea that, you know, tough guys work through these injuries. And so uh, it took me a while to realize that uh, it didn't take much for me to see stars anymore. You know, like in the past, if I really got my, you know, my bell rung, I'd be able to see what it, you know, okay, that's what happened. You know, this super kick was a little too hard or whatever the case may be. And I started noticing that I couldn't even identify what was causing the, stars and then it's like it's kind of sad when you're like oh oh it's not them it's me yeah. and i'm just not the guy that can take this stuff anymore you know so not only do you have to that realize you're not the man you once were but now you're you realize you, you kind of have that submerged feeling that people who uh, wrestle with head injuries have like nothing feels quite the same and it had me kind of down and I was looking for something to make me feel uh, the way I used to feel when I was wrestling. And uh, I, I know most people are not interested in my, my Santa work, but it really meant a lot to me, you know, like to find something else I could throw myself into. And I was like, well, I used to create characters, but instead of being tougher and wilder and braver, this new character is more patient and he's kinder gentler is like i think i can do that so uh that really that was my way of working my way out of it find something else that i really enjoyed doing finding a different character that i could portray and uh and then you know we were talking about being you're talking about meeting that child you know like i had this incredible interaction with this uh, little boy who'd just gotten out of the uh uh icu because of uh, non-hodgkin's lymphoma I don't want to wear his house on Christmas night, 2017. And I thought, man, if I ever had like a list of the best performances of my life, that would probably be at like number three or four. And there was only five people in that room. So you, you realize that you don't need 15,000, you know, like being, I bet, you know, when you put uh, something together out of a woolly mammoth's jaw, it's pretty, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty invigorating, right? Like a lot of pride in that type of thing. When somebody sees it and wants it and, and, and buys it and just they're like so enamored with it that that's how much they like it. That's yeah, that's joy. Like yeah, and somebody tells you how good it was, <clears throat> it's like it's like a great feeling when you when you can produce something that somebody else really loves or the artwork they call it. Yeah, yeah, I'm just having fun, but they call it artwork, but it's just, it's awesome. Yeah. I envy musicians because they can continue to do what they love and they can get together and do it. And uh, once you're done with wrestling, you, you can, you know, you, of course you can hang, you know, not hang around in a negative way because uh, there's a lot of outlets now for people to, you know, to uh, continue to make a difference. But you can't get in there and wrestle like you used to. And, uh, you know, for you guys, you can't get in the, the ring and uh, the, or the octagon and do it like you used to. Musicians can still jam. 
So I think we have to find things that make us feel like we're jamming, you know, and that we're using, uh, if not the same skill set, then maybe uh, utilizing something we learned about ourselves while we were doing what we do in order to do something different. And believe yeah. me, Mike, if I could grow a beard, I would make a great thing. I've been thinking that all show long, Bean. I've been thinking that all show long. Oh, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mick, we got to hear your ho ho. Come on. Uh, oh, that's my level. characters, right? You, you, you're talking about characters. You talk about the 50 videos that you made for your family while you were recovering from COVID. All these. So, how did, and I know you, you must have told this a thousand times, but mankind, how, how does. Did he get born? Mankind. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I've got the mask here <laughs> with the <laughs> hair from my cameos. Oh, so nice. Put that on, and I just uh, three-time WWE champion mankind. I defeated Dwayne The Rock Johnson twice. Have a nice day. So, so uh, I'll sing happy birthday. For, I've got a bunch of different songs, I say. Not just happy birthday, but things I've written. Um, I hated that character uh, because the mask was so... And at the time, I didn't need hair. I had the long hair for so many years. But it, it really constricted my breathing with the, you know, the leather underneath the nose. Like, I needed all the oxygen I could suck in anyway. But it came about, boss, because uh, Jim Ross, um, the, the announcer, was a big advocate of mine. And Mr. McMahon was never interested in me. He didn't think I looked like a star. And finally, my name came up, and he slammed in 1995 in the fall. He slammed his hand down on the table and said, all right, I'll bring him in. But I'm covering up his face. <laughs> and that's how I got my foot in the door. And uh, luckily, as time went by, he kind of learned that I had, a, you know, an interesting real life story to tell. And so I was able to inject a lot more realism into that character. And it really uh, was the best thing could happen to me. You know, the stuff that mankind did with uh, with Dwayne Johnson when he was my opponent, later as my uh, partner, it was really fun and memorable stuff. And uh you know, luckily we were taking people's minds off their problems, and they still remember some of that stuff we did 22 years after the fact. Mac, you know, you, you mentioned that, so you, you got to really invest in and create the character to a different degree than initially envisioned. And I remember watching it, you know, and I come like equally from the movie world as I do the pro wrestling world. And I, I always see the similarities and the differences between the two. And, you know, I remember being a big fan of The Missing Link. And, yeah. you know, back in the day when characters were really over the top. And mm -hmm. but all that said, and with all due respect to Dewey Robertson, who was a great pro wrestler, I never for a second believed that the missing link lived in a cave and ate raw <laughs> meat only exclusively. I never, never yeah. bought it. Now, with you and mankind, of course, I was old enough to know better. And I know the way the business works, but I believe that character. It was very, very real. And, you know, my, my question is, like, you just threw the mask on and you went into that, the, you did the voice for a moment. But when you really got into character, did you feel like you were acting or did you become that guy? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, most of the time, you're doing your very best to portray a character. And you're hoping for that, those few golden moments where you feel like you are that are that character so you're not even thinking about what you're going to do uh i didn't know for example that i was very verbal in the ring i would know by watching it verbal i made a lot of noise and i had no game plan to do that i didn't realize i was doing it when i was in there especially as mankind made a lot of noise i guess in the way some especially some of the female tennis players you know they they can be very verbal when they're playing and they don't necessarily realize it's what they do. Um, so yeah, I did try my best to, you know, give an authentic performance. And there were times Rick, where I felt like I was that guy. Uh, you could argue that a lot of wrestlers, they get to a point where they don't know where the character ends and the real life begins. 
or vice versa. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but it is good to really disappear into that character so that the fans can't tell the difference. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I do think when you, when you go home to the wife and the kids, you, you probably don't want to be Bastion Booger. But if you're, uh, <laughs> but if, if, if you're that while you're working, then it's a different story, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I put a lot into those characters. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, one of the times where I feel like The Rock really was The Rock and I really was Mankind was that I quit match from January of 1999, which went way over the, way past uh, the point it should have, you know. Uh, so we were trying to do something special that night and it went a little overboard. Um, but uh, we don't have a lot of people who ask about that match because it was really uncomfortable. It wasn't fun to watch. <laughs> you know, I, that's the one I remember as much, if not more, than the, the match with, with Taker. Yeah, you might have been there, right? In Anaheim, right? Uh, August, uh, uh, Jan January 1999. It was a big one. Right, and, and okay, so here, that's amazing you just said that. Here's I'm going to ask a question, and it's a little sensitive, but I feel like it's okay to ask it. So you you remembered the date and and i remember when i first met you we were on set somewhere in some weird place in hollywood and you you brought something up that was like so detailed about my past and i'm like how the hell does this guy who's a star even know who i am let alone these details and it's always struck me mick like how your mind works in in that regard it's it's uncanny and and here it's like this it's like this genius where you don't forget anything, and, and the and the well, the genius forgot the genius forgot to plug his uh, tablet in. I'm plugging it everywhere I can. Yeah, there you are. Uh, here, I've got less than ten percent left, so you might have to say goodbye to me in a couple of minutes. <laughs> let, let me let me get the sensitive question out real quick. Then. Let, let me get this. Nick out on cameo for sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I want to get yeah, sensitive. If you're looking for somebody for Christmas, it's a pretty good way to go. An awesome Santa. Can, can, yeah, people you. love you on Cameo, but I want to get this sensitive question in while we still have Mick, and it's this. Sure. Now that we talked about that and how well you remember and how smart you are, I think about that match. Boston Bean, I don't know if you're familiar, He Mick took metal chair shot to metal chair shot to the head as hard as a rock could swing, unprotected, over and over and over again. And the video of his family being there and watching it is, is yeah. hard to watch. Mick, do you worry about what might happen down the road because clearly yeah. nothing has happened yet it's amazing i do yeah i do i do worry a lot uh, i think uh, we're all in the same boat there you wonder uh everyone well yeah you know you know you've seen like that i think the saddest of all the 30 30s is the one with tito and um and chuck right because people could see that Chuck had lost something before he realized he lost it. Yeah. And uh, likewise, you go back and you watch that one documentary where Ali's getting ready to fight uh, Larry Holmes. And they should have realized, you compare his verbal ability before the Holmes fight to the way he was so animated before the, you know, all those classic fights in the early 70s and they have Frazier and, and Norton and uh, and the, the one where he uh, uh, won the title in Miami and uh, Lewiston, Maine against uh, who did he beat? Uh, um, Sonny, wasn't Sonny Liston? Sonny Liston, yeah. Sonny Liston, yeah. I even when I, I twice when I've gone through Maine, I've stayed at the Fireside Inn that Ali stayed at and actually paid the extra twenty dollars to stay in the same room. But going back to that documentary, like he was slower with his words. And you look back and you say, why couldn't they have realized that? So, yeah, I, it's hard to make that decision before. Uh, it's hard to realize you lost that step before other people realize you lost it. It's tougher still for a wrestler because unlike, uh, you know, baseball, basketball, uh, or anything to deal with MMA and, and boxing, like, once you've lost that something, you're never the same person again. But in wrestling, guys go on to do even better because they can control the crowd and work a match 
in ways that they could not do. And I mean, in a more positive way than when they did have 100% of their uh, physical attributes. And so it becomes really difficult to convince a wrestler that their best days are behind them because we all think we have one more great match left in us. If that makes sense. Yeah. Perfect sense. Well, I'm glad to see, Mick, that all the way down the road here, how, how well you're doing. It's really, it's just, it's grat- it, it it's like heartwarming. It really is. I don't know what else Thanks. to say. Great to see I you doing so that. well and so healthy and, and uh, making me feel dumb by comparison. And that's the good thing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, again, I wasn't so smart that I didn't know my uh, my uh, tablet uh, was under ten percent. Yeah, that's, you know. <laughs> I want to personally thank you for coming on. I've enjoyed spending time with you tonight, and every time I see, you, I enjoy enjoy seeing you. So, hey, thanks, Bean. I look forward to seeing you at a convention soon, Boss Rick. Thanks for having me on. Have a great thank night. Thank you very much for coming. Okay, awesome. say hello to see Kevin and Scott week. for me. All right, I will do that. All right. Right. Thanks, my friend. We'll see you guys later. Bye. All right, guys. That was fun. All the time at the different conventions. He's always there too. It's just like it's like a little reunion every time I see him. He's amazing, man. He's an amazing person. It's really uh, I really like this guy. He's got a good heart. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We've uh we we've been pretty lucky with guests in that regard, I think. And uh Man, it, it's it's really – I get such a kick out of watching Boss Rutten and Butterbean talk with people like Mick Foley. It's just – it's so cool getting to, like, be on the outside looking in on that. And uh, it's just – it's amazing stuff. I mean, you you guys are such great guys. And I the, you read the comments, and people are blown away because they just don't – they don't expect this. Yep. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm at a loss for words. I have my COVID excuse, so – I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that while I have it. I'm gonna take advantage of it. How's that? Exactly. That's what well, you do. You stuff, Rick and uh, Boss. We'll talk to y'all soon. And hey, y'all have a great weekend. You too, brother. Good luck you with too. that big day. I love it. Too See you guys. Take care. Bye. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.